You're listening to an audio message from Palm Vista Community Church. If you would like to check out more resources, please visit palmvista.org. Welcome to Palm Vista Community Church as we continue our series in the book of Isaiah. Last week, we studied Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 to 7, and we studied where the great king revealed himself to Isaiah. This week, we are studying the great king who gives Isaiah a great commission. This is part of our series, Living in the Shadow of the Great King, and this morning's message is the great commission, the great commission. So God cleansed Isaiah last week so that he might commission him this week. What is a commission? Let's talk about that. We're going to explore the commission that God gave Isaiah because that commission, though unique in the history of redemption, we're not Isaiah, we're not an Old Testament prophet. There are many similarities because the great commission that Jesus gives us in the New Testament is based on this commission because it's based on the same foundation. So a commission, if you would indulge me for a moment to give you an illustration of what is a commission. I was commissioned when I was a young man graduating from the University of Florida. I remember that day. It was August 26th, 1978, if that's possible. 41 years ago. Wow. All right. And on that day, I took an oath. I was commissioned by the commander-in-chief, the president of the United States of America, as a second lieutenant, a field artillery second lieutenant in the U.S. Army. And, and this, it's important to think about this for a moment as we look at Isaiah's commission. This, is, this was the basis of my commission. I was commissioned, and I swore an oath, to support and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic. I also took a note that I did this of my own free obligation with true faith and allegiance and that I I took an oath to discharge, to faithfully discharge the duties of the office that I was about to enter. Isaiah was given a much greater commission because the one who commissioned Isaiah is far greater than the president of the United States of America. The great king gave Isaiah the great commission. And to understand that commission, you have to understand the foundation. To understand my commission as an officer in the U.S. Army, you have to understand somewhat the Constitution. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. The Bill of Rights. You have to understand what you're defending. Well, You have to understand what was the foundation of Isaiah's commission. To do that, we, as Gentile Christians have to go back into the Old Testament and understand what the great king was commissioning Isaiah to do. And to understand that, you have to understand the constitution of the kingdom of God or the promise of the great king or the covenant that Isaiah was serving. I was serving the constitution. He's serving the covenant promises of God, the constitution of God. We've got to refresh that in our minds. So that we can understand not only Isaiah's commission, but our commission today. Because it flows from that commission. And so the foundation of the commission that God gave Isaiah that day is found in God's promise. 
Actually, it predates the person I'm about to talk to you about. It really started with creation and when Adam and Eve fell and God promised that he would give a a, a descendant of Eve, the seed of the woman, to crush the head of the serpent. It really starts there. But we're going to pick up that, that constitution, that promise, when it was given to a man named Abram. We know him as Abraham. His name was subsequently changed. But originally his name was Abram. And, and in God's promise, the constitution, what he promised Abram was that, number one, he would give Abram a land, the promised land. He promised Abram that he would make him a great nation, Israel, the chosen people. And he promised Abram that one of his descendants would bless the nations. Let's read about it on the screen. Genesis 12, 1 to 3. Why are we doing this? To understand Isaiah's commission. Why? To understand our commission as Christians. Genesis 12, 1 to 3. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred. By the way, this took place around 2000 BC. The book of Isaiah was written around 700 BC. This was a long time ago, but it's the same commission, the same God, the same promise. So we got to follow that. Probably this occurred somewhere in the area of Iraq, in that area there. Okay. So now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you. There's the promise of the land. And I will make of you a great nation. There's the promise of a nation. Abram had no children at this point. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. Verse 3, I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse And in you, read, in one of your descendants, someone born of the nation of Israel. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Why? Because the families of the earth were cursed at that time. We are cursed apart from a blessing from God because we all rebelled with Adam and Eve in the garden. And someone has to save us. Someone has to reverse the curse. God's constitution of his kingdom, the storyline of this Bible from Genesis that we just read all the way through to Revelation is the story of that promise, of that kingdom, of that constitution, the story of salvation. And every every scripture has hanging over it this question that hangs over our text this morning. How will God, first of all, will God, and if so, how will God bless the nations through one of the descendants of Israel And in our text this morning, particularly when that nation is evil. Now, lest you think badly of Israel, that same question is here today. Because the same promise is there. God's going to bless the nations through us, his people. Now, we know that that person has come, Jesus Christ. In Isaiah's time, he hadn't come yet. But folks, apart from Christ, we're evil. And newsflash, dear Christian, even in Christ, there are days you act more like the devil than you do Jesus. Right? Can we both, can we be both saints and sinners? I hope so, because we are. So how's God going to bless other people when we act in ways that are cursed? We get in arguments and we abuse substances and we abuse people and we live for ourselves rather than God. How's he going to do it? How was he going to do it in this time? The whole nation had rebelled against God. Remember, we've been preaching from the first five chapters of Isaiah. Isaiah himself was was sent to preach to this people. And this is how God described Israel in 740 BC. A sinful nation, I'm quoting from scripture. A people laden with iniquity. It's another word for sin. Offspring of evildoers who have forsaken the Lord 
and despise the Holy One of Israel. But that describes us some days, doesn't it? We live in a way that we forsake the Lord. We live in a way that we despise the Holy One of Israel because we disobey him. And the situation got even more intense because by the time you get to the first couple of verses of chapter 6, Isaiah, who'd been preaching to fallen Israel, suddenly realizes what? He's a sinner. Last week we preached this. God brings him into the temple, and he gets into the temple, and God reveals himself to Isaiah, and he says, I'm the great king, and Isaiah sees this holy, holy, holy God, and what does Isaiah say in that moment? Oh, it's not just Israel that is sin-laden and unpure and unclean, but I, the one who had been preaching to them the first five chapters, I identify with them. I am a man of unclean lips. I live in a people of unclean lips. And so if you're, if you're reading this and, and the early recipients of this letter would have been thinking the same thing, I want you to think it. And it's true about us. How in the world is God going to fulfill his promise, his constitution to bless the nations through Israel, his chosen people, through us today as people, if we are sinful? How's that going to happen? And so, what does God do? He starts by cleansing Isaiah. In a mighty reversal, when Isaiah is lying down from last week's message on the threshold, he's trembling. The whole building is trembling. There's a mighty earthquake going on. There's smoke everywhere. And there are fiery beings called seraphims that are flying around singing, holy, holy, holy. They sang it like we sang it this morning, an antiphonal song. And there's fear, and Isaiah's thinking, it's over. The promise is over. He was aware of the promise. God's not going to bless the nations through Israel. He's going to destroy Israel. He's going to start with me. And I guess he's going to start all over. But God says, no, I'm a gracious God. I'm a holy God. I'm a gracious God. So he saves Isaiah. And Isaiah wasn't seeking it. He had lost all hope. He said, I am lost. He was on his face, trembling. And God sovereignly saved Isaiah through no merit of his own. He cleansed Isaiah. But listen, church, he didn't just cleanse Isaiah as the end of the story. He cleansed Isaiah to commission Isaiah. And the same with us. If you're a Christian, you know the cleansing power of God and peace in your soul. But, oh, friend, that's half the story. The other half is he commissions you so that through you and your words and your proclamation, just like we're going to hear Isaiah's proclamation, you, he can bless the nations through Christ. So, let's read about the commission that cleansed Isaiah received from his great king. Isaiah 6, verse 8. And I, Isaiah, heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am. As if God didn't know he was there. Send me. And he, God, said, go and say to this people, here's here's the commission. Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Isaiah, you go and make the heart of this people dull. What? And their ears heavy and blind their eyes. Lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. Then Isaiah said, you can understand Isaiah. First of all, Isaiah, is just, he's just glad he's alive. 
But this was not what he was expecting to hear. Go blind these people so, so that they don't turn and so that they're not healed. And Isaiah in verse 11 says, How long, O Lord? And he, the Lord, said, Until cities lie waste without inhabitant and houses without people and the land is desolate, is a desolate waste. And the Lord removes people far away, and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. And though a tenth remain in it, it will be burned again like a terebinth or an oak whose stump remains when it is felled. The holy seed is its stump. Isaiah is asking himself, like you and I should be asking ourselves, how, God, are you going to fulfill your promise to bless the nations through this people that you're about to judge? And the answer is, he's going to bless them by commissioning Isaiah to proclaim his counsel, a counsel that will purify a small remnant so that through them, he can then bless the nations. And really, just as God commissioned Isaiah, though there are differences in the history of redemption, there are some similarities. Just as God commissioned Isaiah to proclaim his counsel to bless the nations, so God commissions us to proclaim his counsel to bless the nations. That's the main point of this message. God commissions us to proclaim his counsel to bless the nations. Point one, God's commission. Up until this point, Isaiah had only seen the Lord. Remember 6-1, I saw the Lord. Now in 6-8, Isaiah hears the Lord. Isaiah was not ready to hear God's commission for service until he'd received cleansing for his sin. Before his guilt had been taken away and his sin atoned for, Isaiah could, only have a, could never have imagined serving God. Before that happened, he could never have imagined serving God. He was just trying to survive. But now that he's been cleansed, Isaiah is commissioned by the great king. Now, this word us in verse 8, do you see it there? Whom shall I send and who will go for us is a difficult word to interpret. It could be that God is speaking in the honorific plural. We're not familiar with this because we don't live in monarchies, but if you would have grown up in a monarchy, oftentimes the king would speak in plural, we. It's called the honorific plural. But I think maybe it's this other explanation. I think God was speaking his counsel to the heavenly hosts. Remember those seraphim that were flying around singing holy, holy, holy? and all of the angels in heaven, I think he was speaking to them, and he, now having cleansed Isaiah, allowed Isaiah to listen in. So, of course, he hears God speak and ask a question. Who shall I send? Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And I love the scriptures, and they give us, with with the uh, punctuation, they give us Isaiah's response. Look at the exclamation point. Then I said, here I am. He was excited. Send me. 
Now, he didn't know yet what he was going to be sent for. It'd be like me volunteering to be an officer in the army and having no idea what that meant, having no idea how difficult it would be, having no idea what the training would be like. But in my heart, because I have a love for this country that my father put in my heart because he came here from Cuba. He fought in World War II for America. That's how he got his citizenship. And from a, when I was a little boy, he would tell me how great this country is and how much he loved this country. And I wasn't saved. He wasn't saved. But I had, had something in me that wanted to serve this country. So I said, here I am. Send me. See, Isaiah had a love for God because just moments earlier, Isaiah was sure he was going to die before that holy God. And Isaiah said, I deserve to die. And so Isaiah, having experienced God's forgiveness and cleansing, totally unsought for, totally unmerited, God then put in Isaiah. Isaiah had a heart that was willingly, he said, I'm going to go, send me. Church, we can learn from this. If you've been forgiven much, and you understand you've been forgiven much, if you've seen the Lord in all his holiness, not some mock-up that man tries to preach today, not a heavenly Mr. Rogers, not a sweet and by and by grandfather, but the holy God who's sovereign over all. And you understand how great he is. And you understand how great your sin is. And you feel that burning coal touch your lips. And all of your putricity. And all of your uncleanness. And all of your lies. And all of your murderous thoughts. And God takes them away. I maintain that you'll jump up and say, here I am. Send me. And I wonder if it's the lack of the former, seeing God. When we see God, we see ourselves. That keeps us all so muted, and I speak of myself, and lazy and cowardly. I'm Isaiah. I've been called to preach. Part of that calling is to you, and I glory in that. It's a joy. I love doing it. But I'm called to preach to Sheikh Hassan Zaire my Muslim friend in Pembroke Pines. I'm I'm called to preach to my neighbors across the street, who I told you about a couple of weeks ago I offended. And you know what, Lord? Here I am and send me, even though I die on this hill, because I know I live forever in you. I want to know that more. Church, if you don't get anything out of this message, is this. Ask Ask the Lord to show you the great king. Ask him to show you himself. Ask him to show you your great sin. And then ask him to show you, if you're a Christian, the great forgiveness you have. That will change your life. And that's not just a one-shot deal. Sunday morning I go in and hear it. That's an everyday deal. He saved you for a purpose. And when you understand that, you'll run to that purpose. What, what, I, what, I, what I love about the commission is how perplexing it is. <laughs> it is truly, truly perplexing. For God is going to bless the nations 
And Isaiah understands that it's really difficult to bless the nations, that a holy God to bless the nations has to have a holy people who learn his ways and walk in his paths. That's a couple of weeks ago. So that they can then go and teach the nations what are God's ways and what are God's paths because they're walking in them. But when that nation does not know God's ways because they've rebelled against him and does not walk in his paths, then how is God going to do it? And so the commission... This is what is unique, a bit unique for Isaiah, is to go to those people and share his counsel, point two. God now is going to tell Isaiah what to proclaim, verse nine, and the result of what he is to proclaim. This is where Isaiah was thinking, whoa, I did volunteer to this, but now you want me to do what? Read it with me. Here is the message, verse 9. Go and say to this people. Interesting. He doesn't say my people, although they were Israel. They were the chosen ones. They were the descendants of Abraham. They were the promised many, many, many descendants that God said he would give Abraham. They're the ones that from this group, this gang, would come a savior. But he says this people. Go and say to this people, keep on hearing but do not understand. Now, no preacher wants that, right? Look, I'm looking at some of you right now, and I see your eyes are beginning to spin in your head. The smoke's coming out of your ears. I feel for you, okay? I'm trying the best I can. I know this is difficult, but any preacher would like the people listening to him to understand, okay? Any teacher wants that. But actually, Isaiah's commissioned to preach in such a way that they'll hear but not understand. Keep on seeing, but don't perceive, right? Sherlock Holmes, you see, but you do not perceive, That was his commission. That's the message. And you know what the result is to be? This will really blow our 21st century American Christianity. You know, God is a heavenly Mr. Rogers. Verse 10. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes. Some of you have blind eyes right now because I can see the eyelids. Lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. What? This is God's counsel. Because God's counsel is that I will fulfill my promise by taking, by judging this people so that I pull out a remnant a holy remnant, and from that remnant will come the Savior. It, it is, it is mind-blowing. The reason it makes sense is because the controlling idea here is not man's glory. This is what we get wrong in the church today. This is not a man-centered gospel. The controlling idea of all creation for all time is God's glory. And the reason I can say that, there's no time to turn there, but study it for yourself. Jesus quotes this in his ministry. In John 12, there's no time to go there. But you read that quote, and at the end of that quote, he quotes this right here, and he looks at the leaders of Israel, and he says, Isaiah was right. 
Actually, Paul quotes this again at the end of his ministry in Acts 28 when he's preaching in Rome. And the Gentiles say, yes, yes, this makes sense. We want the Lord. And the Jewish, many of the Jewish people, not all of them, many of them said, no, we reject it. And he quotes this as well. Because here's the deal. In the John passage, Jesus says, Isaiah was right. And Isaiah said this because Isaiah saw the Lord's glory. Do you see the Lord's glory? It's displayed on the cross in a naked man, the God man, the descendant, who died for you. If you see God's glory, then the question isn't, how could you do this, God? The question is, why would you save anyone, God? Because, see, God didn't have to save anyone. At that point, God was well within his rights to wipe them all out, beginning with Isaiah. But he didn't. He didn't. He's serious. He's holy. Do not play with God. But he's good and he's merciful. His repentance is intended to lead us. Excuse me. His mercy is intended to lead us to repentance. It's his goodness that draws us to him. But do not mistake his goodness with the fact that he forgets about holiness. He's God. He can be none other than holy. He's God. He has to glorify himself. If anyone else were to glorify themselves, we'd say that's sinful and wrong. But for God to not glorify himself is sinful and wrong because he's the only one who is glorious. So to glorify himself, he must be true to who he is and be holy. That would mean death for us all. But he's merciful. So he sends Isaiah with this message and he tells him in advance what's going to happen. Isaiah wrote this around the 700s BC. Isaiah was a prophet. Isaiah was seeing into the future. What I'm about to read to you here will occur over the next hundred or so years and it will, it will culminate. It will culminate with the Babylonians, modern day Iraq, breaking down the walls of Jerusalem and destroying that temple that Isaiah currently is in. I believe he was in the temple when he saw this vision. And wiping out the people and taking them into captivity, into exile in Babylon. But what's so important to you and me, we've got to remember this church, is in verse 11, when Isaiah realizes what this means and what God is about to do, He asked the Lord, look at verse 11. Then I said, how long, O Lord? See, church, our proclamation of God's counsel will lead some, maybe many, to harden their hearts and reject God. That's not on us. That's that's God's will. They're hardening hearts that are already hard. They are rejecting God because they reject God. They are rebellious. And there's going to be sometimes when we preach the gospel and there are going to be hearts that are actually hardened to it. But we should never rejoice in that. We should be like Isaiah and say, how long, O Lord? We should be like our Lord Jesus Christ who stood over Jerusalem knowing what was coming. 33 AD, knowing that in some 37 years, those walls would be destroyed, knowing that it was right and God's glory mandated it, and he wept over Jerusalem. Oh, let us preach the unadulterated word of God. 
but let us do it with tears in our eyes. We don't know who the elect are. We know where to preach God's counsel, that it is in Jesus. And then we trust God with the results. That's why evangelism can never be measured by how many converts, but how faithful that message is to God. Well, what's going to happen over the next hundred or so years? This is Isaiah prophesying. prophesying. He asks, Lord, how long? Well, here's the answer. God says, until the cities lie waste without inhabitant and houses without people. That means everybody's gone because they're in exile. And the land is a desolate waste. Walls are knocked down. And the Lord removes people far away. And the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. And though a tenth remain in it, it will be burned again like a terebinth or an oak whose stump remains when it is felled. It's going to be so intense. I am so serious about my glory because my glory is what's best for everybody. Because I am God and there is none other. That I'm going to cut down all the trees that, is Israel, that are Israel. Metaphorically speaking. And then I'm going I'm to be sending in the Babylonians, the Assyrians. They're, they think they're doing it because their gods are greater than I am. No, no, no. I'm sending them. I know. That blows your mind. But it's true. And then after the tree has been cut down and it's just a stump, I'm going to send some more people in to burn the stump. And so everybody reading this is saying, by the way, this was prophecy. So people are reading this. They're already seeing Assyrians kind of gathering on the, on the edges. And in 722 BC, they're going to wipe out the 10 tribes of the north. And it's not until 586 BC, over 100 years later, that they're going to wipe out Jerusalem. And they're wondering, here's the question. How, God, are you then going to fulfill your promise to bless the nations through this people if you wipe out this people? And the answer is the last sentence of verse 13. The holy seed is its stump. The holy seed is its stump. Oh, that, that's, that's, that's good news. Listen, that was good news to Jeremiah, who I believe read this. As he was packing his bags, he was part of that remnant in 586 B.C. All Israel had been taken into exile into Babylon. And Jeremiah, as part of that little remnant, was sneaking away to go back into Egypt. The exodus in reverse. But here's the good news. Because Isaiah saw Jesus... Because the ultimate judgment and the ultimate destruction occurred on the cross where Jesus bore the wrath of God. I mean, what happened to Israel was just a small little picture. It was like a comic book of what really happened in reality. Because the wrath of God descended on one man, that representative, who took our sin. And he is the one who will make a remnant holy because that happened. There can be a holy seed that is the stump. And there can be hope. There can be hope. There can be hope. That leads us to point three, the final point, God's remnant. Just as all seemed lost when Isaiah saw the Lord and feared for his life, so all seemed lost when we see the tree that represents Israel has been cut down and the remaining stump has been burned. But just as God unexpectedly and unmeritedly cleansed Isaiah with the burning coal from the altar, so now God sustains a remnant purified by judgment, and this remnant is the holy seed that is the stump. God will replant Israel in the land after the exile. God will rebuild the city 
This is, this is the, the last part of the Old Testament, all the, 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 the minor prophets. God will bring them back. And from that stump, that cut down, burned over stump, from the cut down, burned over stump of your life, God will restore you so he will bring life to others because of Jesus, the one. God is faithful to his promises, even when his people aren't. I love what Jim Hamilton says, one of my professors, Old Testament professor on the screen. But there is hope. The holy seed is in that stump. Through the judgment of exile, the shoot will sprout, that's Jesus, from that holy seed to bring salvation. All right, what's the appeal? We're that people today. In many respects, you could look at Palm Vista, 22 years in. You could say, how in the world is God going to use that unclean people and that crazy church that's careening down the hill like a jalopy, just careening down the hill sometimes, you know, um, to bless the nations? And the answer is, not many of you were wise. Not many of you were powerful. Not many of you were rich. But God delights in taking the least, the broken, who are humble. What, what, what a contrast between Isaiah, who saw and perceived. Isaiah, who heard and understood. Isaiah, who turned. He was a picture of that remnant with all of Israel that refused to see and perceive, refused to hear and understand, refused to turn. But God has his remnant. It's his people. It doesn't make us proud. It makes us grateful. It makes us stand up and say, here I am. Send me. Gladly give my money. I I, I gladly make time to go gather with a bunch of guys. March 14th to the 16th and talk about the spirit-led life. I hate camping. Can I just be honest with you? I emerged from the last camping trip with 18 million bites all over my body. Sorry, Juan, you and I shared a tent. I'm sure I was snoring and making un... You know, just un- horrible sounds all night long. <laughs> but I love being with God's people and a bunch of guys who around those campfires were talking about what it means to be a man of God. Last year was stepping up to the plate in our relationship with God and our families and the church and our community and reaching out. This year it's about the spirit-led life. To hear teachings about it. To talk about it. Yes, to have good food. To have cowboy coffee and, and to... Uh, those omelets we did in the plastic bags, I still don't know how that worked, but it did, and it was really good. <laughs> here am I. I'm here, Lord. Where is it, Markham Park? How much? 35? I spend that much on Starbucks in a week. Send me. Send me. We're your remnant. We're born of the Spirit, Spirit led life. That's God's work. I want to learn how to walk that out. We're going to do that this year, guys. Church, we're doing that. The ladies I know are studying right now the book of Isaiah as well. A little different perspective. It's interesting uh, how the Lord's doing that for us. Where, Where God said to Isaiah, go to these people, 
or this people. Who are the this people God's sending you to proclaim his counsel to bless the nations? It starts with your family, the people you're going to be with this afternoon, watching the Super Bowl, your work, your school. If you're one of, if you brought someone this morning, thank you. The point is God cleanses us to commission us to go and proclaim his counsel to bless the nations. So the ministry time today, it's going to be a little unusual. I'm going to ask the worship team to to sing two songs. You are holy and awake. Um, A lot of times we'll be here to pray for you. And and if you need prayer, we are here. Just tap us on the shoulder. But I think this is a morning to do business with God. I think this is a morning for you to say, Lord, the vision's dim. Listen, when we don't see the Lord, when we don't hear the Lord, we get a little lost, don't we? We start wandering around a little bit, don't we? Priorities get a little bit messed up, don't they? And so I believe this morning what God wants to do is he wants to refocus you and me on himself. He wants us to sing with all of our hearts. He wants us to sing to him. But remember last week, those seraphim were singing to one another. We're to sing to, to, to each other. Why? Because it's about God's glory, not our glory. But in committing himself to his glory, he does it for our good. So let's pray. Father, I pray that you would uh, help us with this passage. Lord, thank you for the book of Isaiah. What an incredible book. Thank you for giving us a record of what happens 740 BC, uh, 2,000, almost 800 years ago. And it's so relevant today, for you are timeless, Father. Your, your promise is eternal in the sense that you will fulfill it. And we're part of that long line of people that are called to be the remnant, made holy by the blood of Jesus, to go proclaim your counsel to bless the nations in Christ. Lord, we are not called to somehow modify your message to make it less holy. You didn't say to Isaiah, oh, just tell these people it's okay if they do this and this and this, as long as, you know... They kind of sort of follow me. No, you, you are true to your, your word because you are truth. There is no freedom. There's no life. There's no blessing apart from truth. You are truth. You are love. You are holy, holy, holy. You're merciful. So, Lord, let us declare who you are and remind ourselves and one another. Let us declare it to you in our own hearts, spring with joy, freshly grateful for how you saved us. So that we would say, here I am, send me. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to find out more resources or see how you can donate to this ministry, simply visit palmvista.org. And be sure to subscribe so you can stay up to date with upcoming teachings.